Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You may abound in hope. Zechariah and Elizabeth had wanted children for years. They're part of that Advent story in Luke. They wanted children for years, but they had gotten to the place where they recognized that it was impossible. That's a, from a world standpoint, from a secular standpoint, that's a hopeless situation. That's a situation that you can't do anything about. The doctors can't help. The, the, no matter how much you try, it, it's not going to happen. And Zechariah and Elizabeth might have responded by just getting used to the idea that they would have to live with the hopeless situation. That's the way a lot of times we respond to situations. It's not that we abound in hope. It's that we get used to living with hopelessness in our minds and in our hearts. There's a difference between living with hope and just getting used to hopeless situations. And we know that they didn't stay there. That wasn't them. They had accepted that they weren't going to have children, but they were living in true hope. And I know this because in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says, and they were both righteous before God. They were living in right relationship with him and with other people. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. In the midst of a seemingly helpless, hopeless situation, they were living with hope in God. Not in their circumstances, that, that their circumstances might change, but rather with the confident assurance that God was still in control, even in their circumstances. And that he was doing what he wanted to do, and he was doing what was best, because their response was living blamelessly. It wasn't religion, it was relationship for them. They leaned in. And, as, and, and we also know that because an angel came to them, and it came to Zechariah, and because of his righteousness and his blamelessness, he, the, the God could trust them with the, man, with the child that would be John the Baptist to pave the way for Jesus. It was a hopeless situation, but they were living in hope. When the angel came, he wasn't delivering hope. He was delivering a mission. Because their hope was not restored because they had a child. Their hope was never surrendered. They were living in hope, in a hopeless situation. True hope is in God regardless of our circumstances. And now I want to push you. I want, I, want to call, I want you to think about situations in your life right now that feel hopeless. Situations that, um, and, I, and I do this too, situations that I try to not think about, not have at the forefront of my mind because they feel so hopeless. And it's painful when, when we focus on them. But I want to push you to thinking about them now. Even though they're painful, even though it's hard, 
Because by the end of this message, what I want you to do is allow the Holy Spirit to transform the hopelessness that you feel in that situation to experiencing true hope in spite of that situation. But you can't do it unless you face it. You can't do it unless you feel it. So what are, I want to push you, what are those situations? Think about them. Maybe jot down a word or two in your outline just to recognize what those are. Because part of the darkness in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to, to invade is this sense of hopelessness. When we listen to the, the news, we hear our co-workers, there's a sense of hopelessness in our world, isn't there? It's time for us to have true hope. How do we do that? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. May the God of hope fill you so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. It's anchored in him. We are created for true hope, but we settle often, even in Christian circles, for an unfounded optimism. We think it's hope, because we're th- we, we have this optimism. But optimism in this world really has no foundation. It has no anchor. I put a couple of definitions there. So when I'm, I'm talking about God's hope, the definition is confident assurance that God is God and he will do what he says. That he is God. He is almighty God. And he's going to do what he says. He's on the throne. He loves us. He's going to do what he says. Man's hope, and this is from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, Optimism is an inclination to put the most favorable construction upon actions and events or to anticipate the best possible outcome. In other words, I'm going to believe that good things are going to happen. Um, it's interesting because, you know, when I see prayer requests on Facebook and, you know, I hear, uh, I'll see some people posting, oh, good thoughts are coming your way. So? That has no power. That, I mean, I'm, I'm okay, I'm, I care about you, but that doesn't help. That's optimism. Optimism. I, 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 this, this, I anticipate good things happening, but bad things happen. That, you know, optimism is, is unfounded unless it's anchored in Christ. Amen. Hope, according to this world, is to want something to happen or to be true. When the world says hope, I'm hoping the Steelers make the playoffs. That's a big hope, right? I'm hoping something happens with my kids. I'm hoping, you know, I just, I'm hoping. That's wishing. That's not, that's not biblical hope. And so we need to surrender that definition and come back to true hope. And so when I refer to it, I talk about true hope. True hope is the confident assurance that God is God and he's, he'll do what he says. So what do we do to experience true hope and then be the hope for the world? Number one, Jesus came as the hope, the hope to a hopeless world. He came as the hope to a hopeless world. The world had been living 400 years without a prophet. No word from God for 400 years. And prior, even prior to that in the Old Testament, it was a mess. And it always pointed to Messiah, Savior, coming. 
And so when Jesus came, he came as the hope. He didn't come as a prophet. He didn't come as a band-aid. He came as the deliverer. John, so open your Bible to John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first five. Anybody need a Bible? Anybody, we need a couple Bibles over here. Anybody, three over here. Anybody else? Okay. John chapter 1. The page numbers are there for you. Jesus came as the hope to a hopeless world. John chapter 1. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, the Logos, the personification of God through Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was eternal. That's why we, were, we decided to light the Christ candle from the get-go this year. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not, was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. So He's the, light, he, he's the Word. He's the life. He's the eternal life. He's coming to save And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And here's what I wanted you to notice. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has come and nobody else wins. He's come. He is the Savior. Doesn't matter how much human beings try to take charge. Doesn't matter how much demonic force try to take charge. The darkness, the hopelessness has not overcome will not overcome, cannot overcome Jesus. So when we are anchored in him, we're with the hope. And no situation is hopeless. So Jesus came, he fought while he was here, he won, and now he offers hope. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. This is in the context of of, um, talking about our hope in God. It says, so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. There is a hope that God offers. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Jesus is God. He is the hope and our anchor is is him. And when we anchor our, and when he is our anchor, then nothing can take our hope. But the devil has all kinds of strategized to get us to surrender it. It is a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And, the, and that refers to the fact that Jesus, is, he, he has paid the price. He, he is the, in the inner sanctuary. He has, there's nothing that separates us from him. Jesus came as the hope to a hopeless world. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the hope within us. It's not the circumstances that we live in, but it's the presence of God within us. The confident assurance does not come from God changing what we don't like in our lives. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, Their circumstances didn't give them more hope. Their circumstances gave them some joy. And their circumstances were an assignment from God that they they would experience God more deeply because they were fulfilling that assignment. But it didn't change their hope. 
not true hope, because their hope was in God. Again, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may have hope. Now, hope is not automatic when you accept Christ as Savior. I want you to hear me on that. When you accept Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. But that doesn't mean you are, have opened yourself up to experience all the hope that he wants to give you all the confident assurance that he really is in control. It takes a long time, and, th- and this is the growth process. This is the development into Christ-like. This is discipleship. This is the Luke 9.23. If you want to come after Christ, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow him. It's that process of coming. And the, the, the more we follow in alignment with him, the deeper the hope becomes. The path to living true hope is for us to put ourselves into his hand. And I want you to catch this. The path to experiencing hope is to allow God to put us into hopeless situations. And then to grow us. It's kind of like, you know, the joke about praying for patience. You know, have you heard that? Be careful. You know, don't pray for patience because your life will get all kinds of impatience, right? <laughs> it's the, this, this is the way development works. And so when we, when we want God to give us this true hope, this confident assurance that God is in control and, that he, and he delivers on what he says, what, what he will do in response is to put us into situations that feel hopeless. So turn your Bible to Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And by the way, if you're a first-time guest, we're really glad you're here. Fill out that blue welcome card, and we'll send you some information. But um, I just want to alert you that you've come to a master's level message today. This is high discipleship. So here we go. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Keep your Bible open there. I put some bullet points there. Verse 1, we are reconciled with God through Christ in our relationship, and so the Spirit begins to live within. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've been made right, we've accepted His forgiveness and begun a relationship with Him, and as a result of that, we have peace with God. We we are no longer, uh, He's taken the guilt of our sins, and so we have peace with God. We're reconciled to God. That's step one. Verse 2, then we have access to God, an intimate and aligned personal relationship. Through him, verse 2, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. 
In other words, now we have direct access with God. Nothing standing between us, nothing hindering us. Not, we, don't have to, we don't need a mediator. We have direct access with God. Second part of verse 2, we live in joy because of the hope of heaven. He says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope. Rejoice is to boast or to exalt or to triumph. In the interlinear Bible, it says to brag. And so he says, we, we rejoice, we boast, we brag, we exalt in the fact that um, in the hope of the glory of God, that someday we're going to heaven. That's something to brag about, right? That's something to be, have joy about. That's something to exalt in. I'm, we're going to heaven. We, we're not going to stay here forever. <laughs> and then he goes on. Verses 3 and 4, we also accept sufferings with joy as training. Verse 3, not only do we brag about going to heaven, but we also brag, exalt, rejoice in the hard stuff, in the difficulties, in the hopeless situations. Now, you, you read that and you go, you got to be kidding me, right? That's, that is not what our natural human nature does. We want to get rid of it. But he says, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within and we're more concerned with having God and having true hope than having our pain removed, then we begin to brag in what God is doing in the midst of pain. Amen. And that's the only way to experience true hope. That's what Zechariah and Elizabeth did as they went back and forth. I can only imagine the tears and the prayers and, the, and all of those long years of of devastation when they wanted children, as, especially back then when Jewish couples, that was the, that was the, the thing that, they, that meant that they were a value. The family was everything. And they didn't, and they didn't, and year after year after year. And finally they said, okay, we know God is God, and we're going to have our hope in Him, and we're going to just let this go. We're just going to live righteously. We're just going to, because God is God. They had true hope, but it took going through the difficulty. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. The only way to get to strength is to go through hard stuff. And so when we want hope, God will put us in situations that feel hopeless. And he'll leave us there. And he'll let us hurt. Because every hurt is an is a cue to turn to him. Say, God, I know you're God. I know you're God. I don't know what you're doing. And this wasn't on my radar. This wasn't in my game plan. But you're God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I don't understand. I'm going to trust you. I don't understand. I'm going to trust you. And you just keep persevering. He says, not only endurance, but as you endure, persevere with your focus on Christ, endurance produces character, the character of Christ, so that we become love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We become like Jesus only through perseverance, only through turning to him, only through, 
to looking to the true hope in the midst of hopeless situations when it doesn't make sense and even good-meaning Christian people around us could be saying things, give up, just don't do that anymore, just don't, don't depend. No, I'm going to hold on. Because then when character is produced, then that produces hope. I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do anything when the Holy Spirit is living in me and he's in control. When I'm surrendering, listening, and obeying, I can handle anything because then the character produces an anchor to my soul. And that is hope. And then he says in verse 5, hope does not put us to shame. And, and what that underneath that it means it, it doesn't disappoint us. Hope does not disappoint us. And so Elizabeth and, and Zechariah were able to live all of those years believing, accepting that they were never going to have a child. And then God sees that and understands they're perfect for raising John the Baptist who would pave the way for Jesus. That is more valuable than having a brood of snotty-nosed kids running around. Right? right. Because now it's a mission. It wasn't even about the child. It was about the assignment. And when you get to the place of true hope, that's what you want. You want an assignment where God is using you because that's where you experience God. It's the reality number seven in the experiencing God. Hope comes from God's presence, not anything we can see. They didn't get more hope when John showed up. They already had it. They got some happiness. They got some joy. They got some dirty diapers. <laughs> it is not us. It's not our circumstances. It's not people. It's not pleasure. It's God's presence that gives us hope. Matthew 1.23, it makes this Advent scripture even more meaningful. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It's God with us. Another example, turn your Bible to uh, back a page to Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. He says, in hope, talking about Abraham, referring back to Abraham, says, in hope he, be he believed against hope. I love that phrase. In hope, in knowing that God is in control, having the confident assurance that God is in control, I'm in his hands, God is taking care of things, he will deliver on his promises, he believed against hopelessness. He believed against that which he could see, taste, touch, feel. He believed in the unseen. He was in a hopeless situations. He believed that he could become the father of many nations, as he had been told. His assurance, his hope was not in what he wanted. It was in what God had said. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead. That's a hopeless situation. God, God comes to Abraham again. It's, it's, he's old. He doesn't have any kids. And God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. That is hopeless. I know. He, he, he says, my body, that's, it doesn't work. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. And by the way, God, my wife's body doesn't work either. What you're saying is impossible. But it says he believed what God had said. That's hope. Because that's not unfounded optimism. 
that's a promise that will be delivered on. Because when God promises something, there's nothing that can keep him from delivering that promise except us walking away. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. That's where his hope was. But he grew strong in his faith. He went through this process, right? He went through the Romans 5 process. In the, in the, and you, you, you look in Genesis at Abraham's life, and it was one thing after another that he put him in. Why? Because he was developing him. Perseverance, the developed character that ultimately led to hope. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It was hope boot camp. Right? Hard, seemingly hopeless situations. Hope grows only as we get to the end of ourselves and then surrender, listen, and obey with God. Here's, here's an upper level boot camp issue. We think it's bad when we get to the end of ourselves. When we have no place to turn. When it seems like it, it's, I, we think it's bad. When we get to the end of ourselves, we are exactly where God wants us so that he can be enough. Amen. So I want, you know, as you think about those situations in your life that feel hopeless, Maybe he's getting you to the end of yourself. And I, I'm not going to make any guarantees that he's going to do anything in those situations. What I'm guaranteeing is he'll be God in the midst of any of those situations. It's a habit and a practice. True hope grows in us as we face hopeless situations that get us to the end of ourselves. And when we get to the end of ourselves, here, here's, a, here's an important practice. Write this down, lodge it someplace, because this is, when we get to the end of ourselves, here's what we have to do. We get to the end of ourselves and we have the situation. We have to take that situation and lay it down against the word of God. So when Zechariah and Elizabeth hear the angel say, you're going to have a child and it's impossible, they take that impossible situation and they lay it down beside the truth of God, and God says, no, you're going to have one. When you're feeling alone, and you feel like nobody cares about you, and you're at the end of yourself, you take that, and you lay it against the word of God, and you discover that God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. I will not leave you as an orphan. And, and besides that, there's a place called New Sun Community Church, and all you have to do is ask one of those people, and they'll tell you that you're not alone. Right? When you are, are in a situation where you just feel there are no options to go anywhere, you take the word of God and you look into his promises and, and, and he says, I'm bigger. There's nothing impossible with God. Amen. There's nothing that can... Over, and, and so you, the, the habit is not, Lord, I'm at the end of myself. The habit is, Lord, I'm at the end of myself. Now show me in your word or, or let me hear from another believer. The, the Hebrews chapter 10 is that's where the hope is. That's where the hope is. Get to the end of yourself as quick as possible. Because it's really painful. So get through the pain, you know, just come to that place of surrender, listen, and obey, and then get in, get to the word. So to experience hope, he has to take us to the end of ourselves. And we see it in all, throughout the Bible, we see it over and over and over and over again. And through the Advent story, we see it. I mean, 
Mary really, when she says, be it unto me as you've said, she's offering to be at the end of herself. Joseph might abandon me. They might stone me. I mean, when Joseph hears it, he's at the end of himself. We have to get to the end of ourselves because that's where the hope will be. Jesus is the hope. The Holy Spirit is the hope within us. However, we will not fully experience the true hope unless we are being the hope as a part of a group of people on mission to the world. Number three, we are to be the hope to the world around us. When God wants to offer hope, he does it through his church. He does it through his people. He does it through his body. There is no Holy Spirit fairy dust, right? There's no other plan. And so he wants us to be about hope. It's about being the light, shining in the darkness. We are to be, I put it in your, in your outline there. Um, we are to be the light of hope through constant love and action. So turn to Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 9. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures here. Okay, I will. <laughs> Let's go. We are to be the light of hope through constant love and action. The sad reality is that many Christians, people who call themselves Christians in this culture, are so often acting in hopelessness, focused on themselves in the world as much as the world is. The sad reality is that many, if not most Christians in our Western culture are respond believing hopelessness as much as the world does. So when difficulties come, they respond with the same kind of hopelessness and they throw up their hands and they whine and they fuss to God as if he's not in control anymore. When hard things come, we think God's no longer in control. And so our focus needs to be to look to Christ and to follow his lead so that it gives the world an opportunity to see Jesus in hopeless situations. If we're not different, why would they notice? Right? And I'm not talking about unfounded optimism. I'm not talking about, you know, just this upbeat kind of, because that doesn't work. This fluff. This, it has to be this anchor. So Romans chapter 12. Now I want you to notice the context here. What we have here is, a, and I'm not going to go in detail in, in all of these. This is a list of actions to live as the light of Christ the, to, to give hope to the world. Notice how ordinary they are. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, keep your enthusiasm on Christ. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. All of those are, are just actions of living like a Christian, live, following Christ, example, to other people. And after all of those, he says this, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. All of, all of the ones before are kind of 
our, our actions with other people. And then he says, rejoice in hope. And, and in our minds, we take that as, oh, okay, now he's talking about us and God. No, he's talking about living it out, being the light, being the hope. So as we rejoice in hope, as we brag about this, this hope that we have, this true hope we have, then people will see it and people will experience it and they'll be drawn into it. In learning community this last week, there was one particular phrase that caught a lot of different people's attention. Anybody remember what it was? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not, listen to me. Life is not about you. Right. And then I read, um, I saw on Facebook, um, something about, there was a caption about something when, um, something about when they discover the end of the center of the universe, most people will be really unhappy because they'll realize it wasn't them. <laughs> but that's the way we're born. We're born as selfish human beings. But it's not about us. And here he goes on. So he goes on. Rejoice and hope is in the middle of this. Here he goes on. Be patient in tribulation. That's about people. Be constant in prayer. That's about us and people, God and people. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Be nice. Welcome people. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who, re who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, be, but give thought to do what is honorable on the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That'll take a lifetime. Amen. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We live in a culture where... Pff, I'll give it a little effort, but that's it. <laughs> Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Why? Because your hope is in him. The confident assurance that he's in control. He'll take charge. He'll work it out. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the, con to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we live true hope. It's just practical actions. It's being like Jesus in the world. It's not going you know, to the other ends of the earth. It's just living it where we are. But you can only do that if you have this confident assurance that God really is in control, right? right? Because otherwise it'll feel like the world is out of control and, and I have to take charge myself and believe that God is going to do what he says. If, we, if he is our hope, listen to me, if he is our hope and we're following him, we're surrendering, listening, and obeying, he numbers your days, right? And if today's the day, you're going home. And if it's not, you're not. So you don't have anything to fear. Live it out. And then one more. We are to be the light of true hope, especially when we face hopeless situations. Our, the light of Christ will shine the brightest when we are in the midst of stuff that feels hopeless and people see us turning to him with confident assurance that God is in control and I still have peace and joy and contentment and faithfulness and self-control because that is so unusual in this world. We are to be the true hope. 
So as I was preparing this morning, this came to mind. I go, this would be a good motto. When hopelessness appears, and I, and I felt like maybe a Superman cape coming on. When hopelessness appears, Christ's followers are near. <laughs> Does that sound like a dad thing? Oh, yeah. But that's it, right? Throughout history, Christ followers have a habit of running to danger. Caring for the sick when everybody else just throws them away. Right? It's just, the sad reality is that Christians so often respond with hopelessness along with the world rather than focusing our true hope on Christ. But when we look to Christ, when we follow his lead, it gives the world an opportunity to see Jesus in a way that they can't see him in any other way. Maybe when God allows us in hopeless situations, it's not about me. It's about other people that maybe I care about deeply that need to see him in that hopeless situation. But too many Christians are like one of the characters in Winnie the Pooh. I didn't even have to ask. I was doing an audience participation thing and, and somebody jumped the gun. It's Who is it? Eeyore. Eeyore. Everybody knows Eeyore, right? Eeyore. Eeyore's, and, and I'll tell you, there are a lot of people who claim the name of Christ that act like Eeyore. Some of the younger ones are going, Eeyore? What's Eeyore? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> right? Eeyore. Yeah, it's, it's the... You know, stuff a little donkey. Hey, it's a bright sunny day. Yeah, but it's going to be bleak tomorrow. Hey, the weather's been great. We haven't had any snow in December. Yeah, but just wait till January. <laughs> right? That's Eeyore. And I bet if you take just a moment, you know somebody who, who claims the name of Christ and acts just like that. Hopeless situations. It, it, that's why the Bible in Philippians says don't complain about anything. Did you know that? Yeah. Anything. You're not, it's a comp- so, how many radio pro- programs would be completely out of business if they obeyed that scripture? Because that's what we do. That's, that's what we do. Who is messaging me? Verizon. Winnie the Pooh. I don't, and I don't know if there's a character that would portray true hope, but I, I like Tigger a whole lot better than I like Eeyore. I think Tigger is unfounded optimism. I don't think it's real hope. I mean, Rue's got some sense. Owl's kind of wise. A while back, probably six or eight months ago, I found myself kind of be an Eeyore. And, and I was literally on my knees. And, and so when I start my day in the morning, I kneel and I have a pad of paper there because I've learned that God talks and, and I can't remember it if I don't write it down. And I remember him telling me, no more Eeyore. That was convicting because I wanted to argue with him and going, I'm not like Eeyore. And, <laughs> and he goes, I don't say things just for saying them. You know, I, when I say it, I mean it. And I began to reflect on it and realize, yeah, yep, yep. I'd gotten into some habits and, and thought patterns and, and ways of responding that were all Eeyore. I'd taken my eyes off of that true hope. One more scripture. 
Is it really 11.30? Wow, okay. Acts 27, we'll wrap it up with this. Time to eat. Good, well, we got food here, so. Acts 27, verses 20 to 26. This is the Apostle Paul after he'd been arrested. He'd appealed to Caesar, and now he's on a ship headed toward Rome. He told them it wasn't the right time to go, but the Roman officer and other people were anxious to get back to Rome. And, um, and so they, they took a chance when they thought the weather was breaking, and it didn't. And as a result, they ended up in the midst of a major storm that would shipwreck their boat. In verse 20, Acts 27 says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. There will be times when that's exactly where you'll feel. When it feels like all hope is gone. But feelings lie. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, and I, and I want you to notice, it is not unfounded optimism. Oh, this is all going to work out, guys. Notice what his words are anchored in. Men, you should have listened to me, which I find really interesting because I want to say that a lot to people. <laughs> if you just listen to me, and he does it here, but for the purpose of pointing people to God. You should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Where is that coming from? Unfounded optimism? Well, you just think it's going to work out? Four, verse 23. Remember the habit I said, when you face hopeless situations, you lay it against what God has said. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And, bef and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. He was able to stand in the middle of a hopeless situation when everybody else was losing hope for the purpose of pointing them to God. Maybe when we get into situations that feel unfair un and they aren't right and they shouldn't be and they feel hopeless, it's because God has planted us there as the light instead of the Eeyore. Now, one of the things we need is that Hebrew scripture because it's hard to have that hope alone. And so when I come in and I start complaining about, and just look at me, just go, Herb, God said, no more Eeyore, stop it. I'm serious. I am dead serious. We need to hold ourselves accountable that way because there are no hopeless situations with God. Amen. And so Paul stands up at God's word and says, you know, and, and God is granted. And then what happens when it comes true? All of those people that were on that ship, the Romans, the, the prisoners, everybody, and the people on the island where they run aground all see Jesus. That's why he was in the shipwreck. Because God wanted people to see Jesus. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. That's hope. The confident assurance that God is in control and he does what he says. Could it be that God has you in the hopeless situations that, you, that came to mind at the very beginning of this message for that very reason? It's painful to think about those hopeless situations. Take them and lay it against the truth of God's word and see what he says about them. 
And sometimes he'll just say, I'm with you. Just trust me, I'm with you. Sometimes he'll say, you need to take these actions like you did with Paul. Other times he'll say, this is, this is a part of training. Just hang in there. You don't know what's happening, but I do. But here's what he doesn't want is for us to have, be overwhelmed by the feelings of hopelessness. And that's why he says, look up. So what are those hopeless situations for you? Would you bow your heads and just think about them for a moment? How do you need to surrender them to God? And what does God's truth say about them that will give you hope? It doesn't take away the pain. In fact, sometimes it forces the pain to the surface. And when it does, look to God and let him hold you. Let him comfort you. Because it's as you release that pain that he can take it. And he can bring healing. And he can bring true hope. He doesn't want you to hold on to it because it just wraps itself around your soul and causes all kinds of other problems. He's always there to say, let me have it. Let me have it. Let me have it. Let me carry it. If you're burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But you have to give it to me. Sometimes we have to give it to him among other Christ followers. But he doesn't want you to hold it alone. And he wants to use you. On the, uh, in the middle and on the other side. Lord, I pray that you will refresh our souls with your presence. I pray for those who are especially right now feeling the emotions, the, the pain of situations that feel so hopeless. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you wrap your arms around them and, and, and fill them with a sense of your presence and comfort and peace, restore their joy, and give them the true hope. I pray that you would prepare each one of us to embrace sufferings and hopeless situations because of what we know that you're doing. And I pray that you would make us especially sensitive to one another to be your hands and your feet and your voice and your arms to walk each other through these hopeless situations and then to rejoice when we see you work. Give us opportunities, Lord, during this Advent season when the world is all about themselves to be your hope, your light, pointing people to Jesus. Lord, thank you for this true hope. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.